You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that al. Well, before we get into it, let's um, let's make it official. Today's episode is sponsored by Cole and Steve. Thank you both very much for jumping in on Patreon. I officially have an excuse to do a Sunday show, and I'm glad about that. I was up a lot later than uh, I'm used to yesterday doing that live stream, which was an absolute failure <laughs> on so many levels. I posted probably eight new YouTube videos yesterday because the live stream kept essentially crashing. It said I was losing my internet connection, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Streamlabs. I think I know why it was acting up, um, but I, I wasn't really able to fix it in the moment. So it kept crashing. I kept launching the stream and then crashing. It, just, it took a second just, you know, redo it, but every time is a new video. So then on YouTube, it's like, <laughs> you know, everybody's gone. And they have to either find it again or whatever. Plus, all those are like individual videos. I got to go back and like delete all those because that's ridiculous. Somebody goes to my channel and sees seven videos of nothing. And, um, and then on Facebook, I kept posting it uh, from the page to the group. And then I pin it to the top. Well, you know, I don't know. It was a, it was a, it was a massive failure. And it was also extremely di- disappointing because it mostly worked through the first pick. I think it like died shortly before my first pick, which was annoying. Then I was able to get most of the people back, and then we sat and chatted, and it was a good time for literally right before my pick. And after that, it was just, it was done. So anyways, at the end of it, at the end of our three-round mock draft, which was fun. I did have fun. I had a real uh, ton of fun interacting with everybody, and uh, doing the mock draft was fun. There were a couple people, and I still want to go back and look at that list to find out who that guy was, because I'm not happy about it. I think it was the Denver Broncos... That's Good Sports YouTube channel. Hmm. This freaking guy has 200... Oh, I know who this guy is. 234,000 subscribers. I've seen this guy before. It's that goofy guy who's got like the 1990s television next to him and everything. This guy ruined the whole draft for being an idiot. Apparently he thought he was going to be funny or something. I don't really know what the situation was, but it was very annoying. Did he even stream it yesterday? He didn't. He hasn't posted a video in two days. So he's got a massive YouTube channel with 234,000 subscribers, tunes in just to ruin it for everybody else and doesn't even bother streaming it to his channel because it's not important enough. This guy needs a kick right in the mouth. Anyways, he certainly thinks he's funny. For those that weren't there, essentially what he did is he drafted a quarterback in the first round as the Denver Broncos. I think he traded up, which was great. I think he traded with the Falcons and got like Justin Fields or something. It It was, or no, it was Trey Lance, I think. Then he trades away, like, his 2022 first, 2023 for a bunch a bunch of silly picks to move back into this um, draft and take Mac Jones. So he traded away his entire future to get a second quarterback. So it's just it's stupid. It annoyed me. But anyways, I had fun. <laughs> it's just, it just blew my mind because it's like, these are, 
These are actual, like, legit guys, you know? Again, 234,000 subscribers. These guys do this, you know? And um, he's the one that just thought it would be funny to just ruin the whole experience for everybody. Brandon Perna. Whatever. Somebody... <laughs> oh, YouTube comments. Hey, B-Word, I never subscribed to you and never will. Just randomly at 11 o'clock at night. Just wanted to let me know that. So, shout out to Glenn Greenstein for that. YouTube is a trip, man. It's Each individual area has its own thing. Twitter, I think, is the most just toxic and vile. Even though people on Twitter think it's Facebook, I don't think that's true. I think Facebook is a lot of, like, old people that don't really know what's going on. As far as football takes, they're very... They tend to be the most, like, fire goot type people. Whereas Twitter tends to be more like, I don't know, burn the country down type people. Attack people personally, whatever. I don't know. Just, just like, deeper toxicity, I think. But generally, you find a lot of good people, right? Twitter has its own kind of self-governance, and, and it's mostly rewarded for you to be, like, a good person. Facebook, maybe not as much. But I just think there's there's less of a... I don't know. They're mostly fine. YouTube is is just brutal. Like, being horrible in comments is, like, a requirement. I make I make videos about sports, dude. I, it's not even a political channel. Like, that. that's going to get some heat. Like, no matter where you go, if you're doing political stuff, you're going to get heat. This is sports, man. And it... <laughs> this is... This was on my live stream. I wonder which of the failed videos this was. 31 minutes, so it's probably one of the longer ones. Um, so, I, yeah, I... Nothing happened. Maybe I made one pick in this entire thing. And um, that <laughs> that's the comment I got. Hey, B-word, and he, you know, spelled out the word, obviously. I never subscribe to you, and I never will. YouTube cracks me up, dude. The amount of hatred. It's like nothing but 17-year-old dudes with low IQs and no daddy in the house that just take out their frustrations and their anger, which is good. Because considering the world we live in, I'd rather they take it out on me. You know, just get it all off your chest. All your daddy issues, just take it out in my comment section. As long as you're not, like, hurting other people in real life. Because I, I can tell that's bubbling under the surface. I, I can just tell. Man, people are, people are a trip. But anyways, we started off round one, got Sam Cosme. Felt pretty good about it. It was a real good value. Strongly considered trading back, but he's just, he's just the right pick. The guy's got a ton of right tackle and left tackle experience. He's consistent. He's gotten better every year. Very, very good pass blocker. You know, became a very good run blocker. Big program. I mean, it just, it all fits. Round two, uh, we settled on Levi on Wuzurike. Honestly, it came down to two guys. Israel Makuamu at corner. There was a big pile of corners, and I tried to settle on which one I liked, and that was the guy. He's a real big guy, but um, also just a talented corner. And uh, Levi and Wuzurike was the other one. The Buffalo Bills, right before my pick, took Makuamu. So that made it a little bit easy for me. Third round was tough. I didn't know what to do. I was going through, all these guys were kind of iffy. I took Amari Rodgers because I knew it would be a popular pick. But um, yeah, I was looking at, you know, grades and stats and everything else. And there's, there's just nobody that stuck out there that was like, this guy's just dominant. But overall, I'm, I'm happy with those, those three first picks. Anyways, that's how my night went. It also was a tough stream because... Um, we got barbecue last night, had a little bit of a celebration. Very rarely go out, very rarely get food or anything like that, but uh, we had a little bit of a celebration, and usually I just let everybody else pick, which means we're either getting Culver's because we let the kids get what they want, or we're getting, like, noodles or Cheesecake Factory because my wife, I defer to her. This time I said, nope, Dad's picking. We're getting barbecue. You're all going to love it. Just leave me alone. 
Um, I'm, I literally, my, I woke up this morning and my stomach hurts. Like <laughs> you ever been that full where you make, wake up the next day and it's like, oh dude, it's still kind of, still kind of hurts a little bit. That's where I'm at right now. Basically I bought a platter that you're supposed to share. And I did, I shared a little bit and then I ate the rest myself, but shout out to North and South Seafood and Smokehouse. Um, absolutely fantastic. I was looking around. I wanted to try something different. We've had a couple different barbecue places at work and whatnot, and I wanted to try this one out. Fantastic. Had the pulled pork, the brisket, ribs, a bunch of other sides and whatnot. We all kind of shared or whatever, but... You know, you always talk about steak when you're talking about your favorite foods, and it's like, yeah, probably steak. You just default to it, but ribs and salmon are the two that every time I eat it, it's like, no, I think this is my favorite. I think this is better than steak. This is amazing. And at this point in time, I'm sitting here saying, I think ribs are my favorite food in the world. Just just ridiculous. So good. Anyways, um, we'll start off a little bit with the Discord questions. Again, because we got patrons, we don't have to default to the questions. So if we run out, we'll just move on to other stuff. But we'll start there because it's still Patreon Sunday. Andy says, can you discuss the salary problem caused by Kenny Clark's contract for 2022, 23, and 24? Um, all right. I mean, the first thing that immediately comes to mind is it's not all his fault. <laughs> There's a lot of problems that a lot of guys are causing. But yeah. And to be honest, I mean, just looking at it, and I, and I don't know specifically what it is you want to know about it, I don't even think this is that big of a deal. I mean, look, it's, it's a big chunk of money, but we're talking about $20 bucks in 20 Well, the first problem is if this guy doesn't step up, he's not worth any of this money. But starting next year, we're talking $20 million, which is a big chunk of money. 2023, $21 million. 2024, $22 million. I mean, it's, it's really just not that much money. Keep in mind, this is just kind of the going rate for top defensive linemen slash edge rushers, whatever. You're in the 20s, no question. Zadarius Smith, let me remind you, his cap hit next year, which I'm under no illusion he's either getting extended or cut, but still, $28 million for Zadarius. That's absurd. And so if we try to put Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith on somewhat of an even plane, even though, again, Kenny Clark has not lived up anywhere near to the expectations of Zadarius. Hasn't really met his full potential in, like, since, what, 20, 2018, maybe? I don't know. Still, $20 bucks, And again, every single year, you know, when the salary cap goes up, each dollar figure becomes less of a big deal. So I, I guess my thought on Kenny Clark is if we can get his play up to his full potential, this is, this is not a big deal. This is just what he's worth. And by the time 2023, 2024 roll around, it's going to be significantly less than what he's worth. Now, if he doesn't play up to his full potential, then we're, you know, we're, we're making other arrangements. Starting in 2023, if we cut him, we're taking a $10 million cap hit, but we've got $11 million and say, now obviously we wouldn't cut him. We'd probably try to trade him and we could probably get some compensation. Although if we're getting rid of him, it wouldn't be much because he's not playing well. But, you know, that becomes, it's on the table. But really, if we look at, Let's just start in 2022. Again, the biggest issues are Aaron Rodgers making $40 million. That's a problem. And it's a big part of the reason why people are talking about him possibly not being on the team. Now, either way, I don't think he's going to take 40 off of our cap. Again, we're going to ride out this season. And maybe something still gets restructured. We'll see how it goes. But we're going to ride out this season. We're going to see what happens with Rodgers. We're going to see what happens with Love. We're going to gather more information to make a more informed decision on what we're going to do, but what we're not going to do is take a $40 million cap hit on Rodgers. 
Maybe we're going to move on, which I, th- I think is significantly lower than 50%. I just I think it's going to be unlikely that Aaron Rodgers' play reduces that much, and we get that much information on Jordan Love that we're comfortable making him the starting quarterback in 2022. I just find it very hard to believe. The question is then, what do you do? Because let's say we're progressing in that direction. Aaron Rodgers takes a step back and Jordan Love takes a step forward, but we're not quite there yet. We want Aaron Rodgers to play. We don't want to take a $40 million cap hit, but we don't want to push money into the future because that's going to mean Aaron Rodgers stays and we're ready to move on. Again, I know a lot of you don't even want to have this conversation. You want him to just stay on the team. In fact, he should be playing well beyond his his, uh, 2023, and maybe he will. I mean, if he can play until he's 43, I mean, that's an additional three more years. That's a long time. And so it's entirely possible the best case scenario is he wins MVP again. Jordan Love looks like garbage. And as much as that's going to make everybody angry and see you wasted the pick, which is, is not that big of a deal. Again, people get so mad that we wasted a pick. Do you know how many wasted picks there have been in the first round, including by the Green Bay Packers? Do you remember Demarius Randall? Was that a wasted pick? Nobody's mad about Demarius Randall, though, because you wanted a corner. It's okay if you try and fail. So long as you pick the position that that I want is is the I mean just the anger that we picked a quarterback is unbelievable. The most important position in football with a quarterback approaching forty and everybody's mad about taking a swing at it. I'll never understand that. First round picks are not guarantees, especially at the back of the first round. Most of them are going to suck. First round doesn't mean automatic Hall of Fame. I'm very sorry to inform you of that. But yeah, I, the it's also possible we just move a little bit. Because if you look at 2023, we're talking about only $2.8 million of dead money. We saved $25 million of the total 28. If we just push, geez, I don't know, I mean, $10 million, it's going to hurt us in 2023 to, to move the $2 million cap savings to $12 million or $12 million dead cap hit instead of two. But I don't know, it just, it, it'll maybe help us survive 2022. I don't know. I, again, we don't need to keep talking about this because we, we just need to wait and see. Are they going to restructure Rodgers? Maybe. If they don't, then we're going to wait and see what happens. And the picture becomes clearer after this season. Let's see what Jordan Love can do. Let's see what Aaron Rodgers does. And again, Zadarius is the next biggest problem in 2022 with his $28 million cap hit. But again, I'm under no illusion. And this is where everybody, you see all the cap people and, and you know other people who are just feel like worrying about 2022 saying we're doomed. These two numbers are fake. 29 or 39 million, or actually 40, 39.8 million for Aaron Rodgers and 28 million for Zadarius. That's fake. We're not going to take that as a cap hit. They're either going to be off the team or they're getting extensions. And we'll find out the answer to that question based on how they play. That's it. Very simple. After that, I mean, you got, you got some big numbers, but I don't know that they're necessarily devastating. David Bakhtiari, 22 million. See, and, and that's the other thing. It's, they're reasonable numbers, but also you can only pay so many guys 20 million bucks before you just don't have enough money to have a good team. And, and so the, one of the bigger problems with the Packers is that they just have too good of a team, which is why I laugh hysterically when everybody's mad at Gutekunst because he's not doing enough. We don't have any money because our team is too good. And you're complaining that we don't have any players or Gutekunst isn't doing his job. I don't even know what you're talking about. David Bakhtiari making 22.7 million in 2022 is... Um, is not a problem because he's worth $22 million, right? It's a problem from the standpoint of yikes that hurts us down the road, but I mean, it's just it's just a reasonable amount of money. Preston Smith is at 19.7, zero chance he gets paid that. Unfortunately, because we did all this stupidity with the cap stuff, um, if we had cut him this year, we would have no dead cap next year and we would be in a $7 million better position than we would be now if we cut him. Let me try to rephrase that in a way that makes more sense. Next year, if we move on from Preston Smith, we save 12.5, but we have a $7.2 million dead cap hit. 
The only reason we have $7.2 million in dead cap money is because rather than just cutting him this year, we decided to push money around and, oh, look, he's basically free, blah, blah, blah. No, it's, it's going to hurt us next year. But again, we're not paying him $20 million bucks. That's not going to be a thing. He's either going to be a stud and we extend him, which is extremely unlikely, or he's just cut and we save $12.5 million off of that. Again, Kenny at 20 is not that big of a deal. After that, the only guy making even 10 is Adrian Amos, making 11. You got Dean at 7, who's probably not even going to be on the team. You got Turner at 9, who hopefully is not on the team, although we don't even save any money because, again, we're doing stupid stuff with contracts. This is where, again, it's like, oh, that's brilliant. Look at all the void years, so we don't even have to pay it. Yeah, it's going to hurt us next year if we want to move on because all that dead money gets accelerated into here, and we only save $3 million moving on from Billy Turner. We have to pay $5 million and save $3 million just to get rid of him. It's, it's not even worth it. Might as well just keep him on the team. So, so, again, a lot of this is fake. Preston is a big cap hit, but he's probably gone. Dean takes a big chunk, but he's probably gone. Um, and then Zadarius and Rogers are a big chunk, but, you know, whatever. 2023 is not that bad. Um, I think the biggest thing that should not happen is Aaron Jones' cap hit is $20 million. That's when you're starting to get into the realm of absurdity. But keep in mind, Aaron Jones is going to be 29 years old. I know we gave him a four-year contract, but you're talking about a 29-year-old guy who does have injury issues. It hasn't been super recent, but we have seen the guy go down pretty much every year. And as a smaller back, I don't know how well his body's going to hold up. We've also got A.J. Dillon that's probably going to be taking on a bigger role. And who, who knows what other running backs are going to be drafting over the next couple of years. By the time 2023 rolls around and we're talking about 20 million bucks, again, you look into that, do we restructure? Do we extend? Do we cut? Do we trade? Whatever. We can save almost 13 million of that 19 million by moving on from Aaron Rodgers and, or Aaron Jones in 2023. So that, that one becomes a little bit silly. Uh, Bakhtiari is up to 26. That one hurts a little bit. That is pretty high. And again, this is what happens when you keep pushing money out. Oh, it's only, we're only paying him 16 million this year and we're only paying them $10 million the next year, and then, oh, it's, it's it goes up to 2022 or 22 and 2022. Then it balloons up to 26, then it balloons up to 30. And I know the cap goes up, so it becomes less of a problem, but they're, they're, they're pushing money back in a pretty unhealthy way that we're going to have to dance for quite a while, and it's a little bit annoying. And that's basically all, but we're going to have other guys like Jair, like Savage, like Rashawn that are going to be taking bigger contracts that are going to be tacked on here, so... You know, we'll see. Again, we don't have answers because we don't know what's going to happen, who's going to play, who's going to play well, who's going to play like garbage. Zadarius and Preston might be gone. Aaron Jones in 2023 might be gone. Kenny Clark is is not that big of an issue, uh, assuming he plays well. If he doesn't play well, then the problem is the contract makes it somewhat unfriendly to move on, but you just got to do what you got to do. You take whatever draft capital you can get to trade him because hopefully you can get something. Because the contract won't be that hefty because we're taking most of that dead money ourselves. And you just you just eat it, you know. Eat it in 2022, and then you don't have to worry about it in 2023, I guess. Dustin threw a hypothetical at me. He says, hey, Ryan, hypothetical here, but let's say the Packers are on the clock. There's talent on the board still and justification to use a first on some of them. But Seattle calls and offers a 2022 second, 2022 third, and 2021 seventh to awfully specific to move up from 56 to 29 would you take it not to state the obvious but we would move back to 56 just clarifying in case i worded it funny personally unless a top 15 talent is there i take it i mean i don't like that i'm getting almost nothing i mean again i couldn't care less about seventh round picks you might as well just take take that back so i'm giving up my first round pick for next year's second and third 
and obviously this year's second. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like I don't really want to do that, especially because as we've talked about, we do have a lot of needs, and I, I know it's going to be, it's going to be nice to, uh, and we're not, I guess we're not losing the amount of picks. We still get seven picks, and then next year we're getting, you know, what two additional, and more picks is good because it's not like we just need more this year. We also need more this year, next year, but. I mean, that's a hefty price tag, man. We're losing out on a lot of talent from, uh, I mean, having done the mock draft just last night, one of the issues was wanting to take certain guys in the first because a lot of that talent isn't really going to be there, especially looking at corner. The only guy I really, really wanted by the time we got to the back of the second was Israel uh, Makuamu, and he went one pick before I got to pick, meaning by the time my pick rolled around, there really weren't very many corners I was still interested in. It was basically the, the, the guy that I wanted, Levi and Uzurike, was the only one left that I wanted. And if he wasn't there, it's like, I don't want any of these guys. Now, I guess in this scenario, we get uh, Makuamu at 56. We get Levi and Uzurike at 62. You kind of salvage the draft in that regard. It's just, it, I think the biggest issue is the unknowns. You get put in a situation where you're at 56 and you don't really want a lot of these guys and you really wish you'd had so-and-so sitting there, like a real stud offensive tackle, which you're going to probably struggle to find at, you know, at this point. It's high risk, I guess. I, I don't know. It's, it might be the smart thing to do. I don't think I would do it just because I just, I need to come away with something in this draft. And Gutekunst has done very well on first round picks, early round picks. I guess technically a second round pick is still early, but I just don't think I want to give it up. I mean, the value is, is fair, but it's also, again, it's 2022s, which are just generally less valuable. If you would have said, would you tr- take that trade for Seattle's 2022 first and then maybe some additional compensation? Now we're talking. Because now you're getting a, an addition, you're getting two first round picks next year. Plus, who knows what Seattle's going to do? If San Francisco comes away with a competent quarterback and that defense gets rolling again, um, you know, the, the Rams have got some talent. Who knows what the Cardinals are going to do? I mean, it's it's tough for Seattle, and they seem to be getting worse every year. Who knows who's to say if we don't end up something catastrophic happens, we don't get a top 10 pick out of that, you know? That's the other risk with um, 2022 picks is, you know, they end up going to the NFC Championship, and we get a very late second-round pick and a very late third. So I, I think if I'm going to do that deal, I want a first. Because then I know I'm locked into at least pick 32. And at best, you know, Russell Wilson gets hurt and we get the first overall pick. So I'll say that. If you want to give me a first, we can talk about it. Otherwise, no. Billy wants a deeper dive into Trey Smith, offensive guard out of Tennessee. He says, as a Vols fan, he was a leader on our team and a five-star recruit coming in. I can see him sliding right into left guard, allowing Jenkins to move to center, second, third-round target. He's got a second question, but we'll start there. So as I'm sure you're aware, the the biggest red flag with Trey Smith is his health. Um, He's had blood clots in his lungs, which is pretty serious stuff. I don't exactly know what the prognosis is or how much fear there is for, um, you know, his health moving forward. I don't really know where that stands. It it seems to me something that could be incredibly dangerous. <laughs> and so my, my general understanding of Trey Smith is that he's been a first-round prospect for quite a while, but health is a major red flag. And there are probably teams that have just taken him entirely off the board. Um, as far as PFF, he grades out okay. One of the things in the draft guide, it says here, the bottom line on him, Trey Smith's medicals will obviously be huge. His inconsistent on-field play won't help his cause either. And as I look at his grades, I can kind of see that. He's one of those guys, at least in 2020, there's not a huge amount of upside. His best graded game at left guard, 75 overall against Auburn, 
his lowest was a 58. So not real low, but nothing really high. 2019 was a better year, but um, it's just, it's not a special, there's nothing special here. Um, he did only allow one sack, one hit, four hurries, six total pressures, which is fine. It is a big program. He does seem to be a more consistent run blocker than pass blocker, or at least better at it. But I mean, even if you just look at his grades, you see the inconsistency. 2017, 73, his run blocking grade, 73, then 64, then 84, then 72, right? Good, barely average, real good, pretty good. His pass blocking grade, 67, 59, 68, 73. So average, not too great, average, pretty good. So it's, 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 he's, he's good, but he's not great. Great leader, serious health issues, and I think there are certain traits of his that are that get people real excited, but again, it's the inconsistency, right? He does things that are just special, and I'm sure, especially as a, as a Vols fan, you look at those things and say, this guy's special, right? Because anytime you look at him in a, in a, you know, those instances, you see the special and you say, this guy's special, but you still have to take the good with the bad. So, for example, at the end of this uh, little write-up they have here, it says, he'll flash some monster blocks, and his pop on contact is about as good as it gets in the class. He's got a lot of just raw power, just stopping guys dead in their tracks. But then it goes on to say, after four years, though, consistency is still the issue. So looking at the pros and cons list, it says, the type of offensive lineman who dives to block a guy already on the ground. So just, again, that goes to what you're saying about leadership, right? The guy's got heart, the guy's got passion, he's got drive, he doesn't quit. That's awesome uncoachable pop in his hands. He stops defenders in their tracks. Experience across multiple positions over his career. Started at left tackle. Let's stop and take a look at that for a second. So yeah, the, the only position he hasn't played is center. 560 snaps at left tackle, which is where he kind of started. 509 at right guard, which is his primary position in 2017. Um, did play 23 snaps at right tackle, and, and that was all in 2017. Kind of settled into left guard the last two years, though, where he stayed. 1,480 snaps at left guard. And at 6'6", 330, I mean, if he has some tackle ability, and again, they don't break it down by, uh, I, maybe I can go back to 2017 and just see what his grades were, although it was a long time ago. He played left tackle in weeks 10, 11, and 12. Pardon me, alarm clock. Um, he didn't super grade out well, though. But it's, it's, it's an extra little notch in his belt to be able to say, I've got some experience, and in a pinch, I can maybe do it. And then it, his final pro says legitimate reasons for limited development hasn't had many off seasons. So I think with the health issues and everything else going on with him, he hasn't had a lot of time to really just get the training needed. In other words, the, the if you take the raw ability, all the stuff that they say you can't you can't even coach this stuff, and you really give him an opportunity with an NFL caliber coach, an offensive line coach, a, you know, head coach like Matt Lafleur, and they really just teach this guy, really refine him. His ceiling is through the roof. But again, why hasn't he had an offseason? Because of his health. So what's to say he's going to have an offseason for the Packers? What kind of health issues is he going to have there, right? The cons. Like a power hitter swinging for the fences, goes for the home run block way too much. Awareness on stunt blitzes, etc. has been an issue. Too many missed assignments. Heavy feet, which leads to an inability to recover blocks. Medical history of blood clots in his lungs. NFL draft projection is a third round pick. So it's, it's, it's high risk, high reward. Right, you might be getting a first-round prospect in the third round. You might be getting a guy that just doesn't play um, and um, yeah, just, just kind of burns out. Right, it, it just doesn't work. The second part of Billy's question, why did Alex Leatherwood's value seem to drop from last year to this year? I recall him being high-end first-round projection last year. Does he project to be a scheme fit for us? So that one's one of the, the more shocking ones. I mean, he was, he was 
offensive tackle too. He was OT two for a long time. Um, I can only see his history back to January 12th and it has him at 27th. So um, obviously the, the decline had already started at this point. I know when I was using my board at, like you said, last year, he was uh, probably sitting around like 10th or so. I, I, I mean, you can go back and look at my mock drafts and stuff last year, August, September, October, November, whatever. And um, he was, he was after Sewell, he was the guy. And occasionally you had guys coming up and challenging him, but Lather, yeah, Latherwood has been slowly and consistently falling. And even here, I mean, he was sitting at around 30 <clears throat> up until around February. He drops a little bit. Um, we're talking still kind of hovering in the first, second round. And then you get to where are we at the end of February, 34. March, he's sitting at 38. And now he's sitting at around 39. So He's been kind of going up and down a little bit. His lowest point looks like about 42nd overall. I guess I don't have a, a great answer as to what caused it. I mean, I can tell you why he's a second-round pick right now. I can't tell you why he was considered the top pick. I think that's just kind of part of the process. I think early on, people don't really know. You know, they, they kind of, I guess, guess. And then when people start to dig a little more, Plus, you got groupthink, right? Once the people that really know what they're doing start talking about these prospects, some of the guys that are kind of faking it a little bit, and I'll just call it what it is, they start slowly changing their rankings, right? You slowly see they had them at 10th, and then they had them at 12th, and then they had them at 14th. And, they, you know, they're slowly kicking them down to where the people that actually know what they're talking about are, are putting them. And so the, the only thing I can think is that Leatherwood is a massive offensive tackle for the biggest school in college football. His stats are great. His grades are great. All these things are great. Um, but then uh, upon closer examination, he doesn't belong as, as a top 10, top 15 pick. And, and the biggest issue with him is just his athleticism. I mean, he's got everything you could possibly want as far as just his size, and he's not going to get bullied and he'll throw people around and all that stuff. But you just want more athleticism from a guy that's going to be a, a mid to early first round pick. Um, could he possibly be a late round pick for the Packers? I think so. I can tell you, I know um, Coach Hahn had mentioned him in, in passing, just kind of when he was looking at certain guys. He really liked Alex Leatherwood a lot. Um, by the way, you know, as far as limited athleticism goes, his 40-yard dash, he was 99th percentile. Now, that's not, that's not everything. He didn't do the three-cone, and maybe that's for a reason. You know, there's still lateral agility and all that kind of stuff. He can still get his feet tripped up or whatever. Straight line speed and uh, agility are different things. Didn't do three-cone, didn't do short shuttle, but... Um, I mean, his 99th percentile broad jump, 96th percentile vertical jump, uh, 99th percentile 40-yard dash. So his speed and explosion is stupid crazy. But again, I think he skipped agility drills for a reason. And I think that people probably saw that on tape. And that's why you have comments like this where it says, Leatherwood doesn't quite have the athleticism you want from a top-tier tackle, but he makes up for it with length and strength. Now, again, he has athleticism. But a lot of what a tackle does isn't straight line speed. I mean, if he's running down the field hunting for people to block on a screen pass or something, he can probably get down the field pretty quick. If you're pulling him and he's trying to get out in space and make tackles, he's going to be able to do it. But in, in terms of his ability to see somebody coming and quickly shuffle his feet to the side to make a block on a blitzing linebacker or something to that effect, that's kind of where the struggles come. Um, here's, here's a comment here. It says, Leatherwood is a distinctly different type of tackle coming out of Alabama than 2020 first rounder Jedrick Wills. Wills did his best work in space, while Leatherwood does his in a phone booth. Leatherwood wins his uh, with length and ability to forklift opposing defenders, even without high-end athleticism that can suffice attack. We go through his pros and cons. Tree trunk for arms. When he locks them out, defenders are doomed. 
Very stout lower half, can be a true line of scrimmage mover, 14 big-time blocks last year, knows how to use length to his advantage like a Venus flytrap on defenders, pro-ready depth in his pass sets, nice balance kick slide. As far as the negatives, plays with ridiculously wide base, limits agility and recoverability, gets cornered far too easily, little stiff-hipped, struggles to locate at the second level, quick linebacker, quick linebackers give him problems, which to be fair, Tackles suck at that. Offensive linemen trying to find people down the field, It's the, the success rate is like 5%. It's the most embarrassing thing in the world because all these guys are that way. They work in tight, confined corners, and you put a linebacker, try to get a linebacker through a pile of offensive linemen, it's real tough. You try to get an offensive lineman out in space where the linebackers live, linebackers just make them look stupid all the time. It's so embarrassing watching offensive linemen try to block down the field. Uh, and then finally, tendency to lurch into contact rather than drive his feet leads to too many whiffs. Now, again, with that said, you're you're getting still a, a pretty top-tier guy. You know, his, his grades are not super elite, a little bit better than what you saw in Trey Smith. You do see some growth. 2017 and 2018 were not great. 2019 and 2020 were pretty solid. And he kind of went back and forth. 2019, solid pass blocker, decent run blocker. 2020, solid pass blocker, real good um, run blocker. But either way, I mean... It, the growth from 2017 to 2020 overall 63 65 74 80 i think one of the other issues that you kind of see is alabama's a little bit more power football um most offensive linemen in the pros and in college are doing primarily zone blocking he did it 49 percent of the time now it's still 50 50 meaning he did both he can do both but there is a lot more again in a phone booth stuff is going to work a lot more grab the guy in front of you and slam him on his head if we're pulling him and he's got to move and, and block in space and do that kind of stuff, it, it sounds like he's going to struggle a little bit more with that. As far as his pass blocking, again, 2019 was his best pass blocking year. Didn't give up a single sack or hit, four hurries allowed. 2020, he gave up two sacks, a hit, and four hurries. So even the stats aren't necessarily first-round caliber. Now, this is Alabama, so you're going up against the best of the best. But even so, I mean, nothing here screams top 10 talent. So I, again, to, to answer your question, I think that's what it was. I think to start off, people kind of fake it till you make it. You sort of organize these guys based on what you think and what you've heard and the rumors and, you know, you know the name, Alex Leatherwood, and there's a lot of hype about him, and he's a massive 6'6", 312 guy with tree trunk arms that throws people around, plays for Alabama, and you think this guy's going to be a top tackle. Then you dig a little more, and it's like, eh, I don't know. So I think that's essentially what happened. He's still a very good tackle, and if the Packers took him in the first round, I'm not upset. I think you're just getting a guy that, you know, generally with first-round prospects you're looking for the the highest possible ceiling and the, and the least amount of holes in your game you want to be able to get a guy that does everything and I think with Alex Leatherwood you're, you're you're not exactly getting that but you're getting a guy that maybe has some holes in this regard but is elite in another category so real high floor excuse me real high ceiling s- relatively low floor high boomer bust I guess you could say because some of the stuff you just have to be able to do and if, if there's something that you can just exploit NFL teams are just going to look at it and say this guy can't do this so guess what we're doing all day we're doing that thing and then the final Patreon question comes from Dustin he says to tag on to Billy's question could you check into Alaric Jackson as well he too seems to have fallen off yeah there's no question about that again I can only go back so far so I think he was probably ranked higher than this but um, it looks like at his peak they have him at 78th overall right now He's sitting at 209th. So he has completely fallen off the planet. And so I think similar to a lot of these guys, the issue is just glaring problems. Alaric Jackson has, you know, I mean, even if we just start this off, it says it's almost impossible to believe that a four-year starter at left tackle under Kirk Ferentz, apparently people know who that is, at Iowa isn't getting first-round hype. 
but we just don't see the necessary improvement from Jackson over the course of his career. So again, he's got positives. I mean, he, he's graded out fine. Not great, but you got the consistency. 70, 76, 71, 74. It's fine. Uh, cons- extremely consistent at run blocking, 69, 73, 71, 73. The issue, again, isn't even so much the grades and whatnot. It's that when, when, when they're watching him, he has serious issues. Things that have to get corrected if you're going to be able to succeed in the NFL. And he just hasn't been able to correct them. So again, inconsistency is an issue, but also there are just certain things that it's like, if you can't do this, you can't play in the NFL, and we haven't seen him be able to change that. The other thing is they said he's 100% going to get kicked into guard. He's not going to play tackle, but even there, they watched him at the Senior Bowl, and he didn't look very good. They've got their bottom line comment here. It says, if Jackson is still the in- this inconsistent after five years of Iowa coaching, I'm not sure you can expect much to change in the NFL. Um, bottom line is he's got limitations. And um, no matter how much coaching he gets, it seems like he's just at his ceiling, you know? And so you've got a guy that at his best is going to play to his ceiling, which is not necessarily NFL caliber, which is not great. We just quickly go through pros and cons. Pros, explodes out of his stance, can get on defenders before they know what hit him. NFL-style run scheme at Iowa can fit in any system. Four years of starting experience at left tackle. Power throughout his frame. His highlight reel blocks are as good as anyone's. Negatives. Carries hands low and sets for balance, leads to inconsistent timing and placement. Adjustment on the fly doesn't come naturally, always a tick slow. Very short arms for a tackle, not great for a guard either at 32.5 inches. Gets himself in such bad positions, feet are rarely in sync with his upper body. So it's kind of like a quarterback who's got bad mechanics that just doesn't, like it just, it doesn't change, right? Or, or makes bad decisions or doesn't go through his progressions properly or whatever, right? There are certain things where it's like you look at the potential. You look at the arm strength, you look at whatever, and it's like, man, if this guy could just get these couple things down, it would be so much better. You know, your footwork or whatever. But after all these years of coaching, he's just not improving. And he's still a guy that you look at and say, man, the the potential is great, but he's just, if we could just get him to fix these things and you say it again next year and you say it again next year and you say it again next year. And it's like, this guy's just not getting it. And so you'll probably find a coaching staff and the Packers are one of the teams that love doing this kind of stuff. But you'll find a team that says we can turn him. You know, we can change him. We can get him to be where he wants to be, where he needs to be. And maybe they can. I don't know. Somebody's going to take a flyer on him because he's got too much potential to to not make it on somebody's team. But um, I think that's sort of the concern with Alaric Jackson. And again, we saw him high early because of all the things that we talked about. But again, the more people started to dig into him, it's like he just he just isn't getting it. His athleticism is also a bit of an issue. Um, 20 reps on the bench is really low. 17th percentile in his 40-yard dash. 10th percentile in his short shuttle, 11th percentile in his vert. I mean, just, I mean, bottom of the barrel. His 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 uh, three cone was fine, 63rd percentile. Uh, 68th percentile is 10-yard split, which is really weird when you end up 17th percent. I mean, he's off, the, he's off the line real quick, which maybe you could say he's explosive but not fast, but his explosion on his vert was 11th percentile. So I don't know. There's just, there's just not a lot here, I guess. But anyways, that wraps up the Patreon question. So why don't we go ahead and take a break? Again, if you'd like to join in on the fun, I would greatly, greatly appreciate your support. You can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you don't like Patreon for whatever reason, there are other options for you. You can find those in the comments or the description of the show. I keep calling them comments. Otherwise, let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about a couple other things. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones 
by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, we've only got 11 days until the NFL draft. 11. And so in the interest of trying to really hammer this down, um, I took a look around at some other mock drafts to see where people are going. And once again, not surprisingly, the first mock draft I come along, I mentioned a couple days ago, I looked at all these different mock drafts and, and only one of them had a duplicate. In other words, if I looked at eight mock drafts, seven of them were different players. I look at the first mock over at PFN and they have us taking a different player once again, this time, Mr. Jamin Davis. And um, as much as I've liked the guy because I like his name and whatnot, I don't think I've spent a lot of time talking about him. And so it's worth talking about the guy. I, I mean, he's sort of the epitome of a, of a boomer bust. I, I can't say I'm super excited about him because there's just a massive amount of risk there. I know I've been, it sounds like I really like him, but it's just, it's really just his name. And the fact that I like the guy's name and then he's been flying up the boards is like, yeah, there's my guy. But it's like, I, I, don't, I don't know much about him. One of the things that I think might come as a surprise, and this happens fairly regularly when people look at, at guys, and especially when you're a six foot four, 234-pound linebacker who had uh, three interceptions and a pass breakup in 2020, I think the assumption is this guy's a great coverage linebacker. Fact of the matter is, um, first of all, he's had very little experience. He played hardly at all in 2018, 31 total snaps. He played in five games in 2019 with 214 total snaps. Um, I'm sorry, that's not true. Looking at the wrong year. Um, he played, it looks like a full season, but not a full-time role at linebacker, 214 total snaps. 2020 was the first time he kind of stepped up. And, and even so, we're talking less than 600 uh, opportunities. But still, it was his first time um, really getting a heavy workload. And he blew up, but he primarily blew up as a really good run defender. The biggest knock against him is his coverage. He had an 87.5 run defense grade, an 84.7 tackling grade, very rarely misses tackles, 7% miss rate. Pass rate is uh, pass rush is a 70, his coverage was a 72, which isn't bad, 
But even as you look at um, some of the notes here in this, for example, it says that uh, of those three interceptions, all three were gimme interceptions. In other words, the ball popped up in the air and fell into his arms, which one of, one of my pet peeves in highlight videos is stuff like that. Like, that's not an impressive play. It's, in my opinion, it, just because it's an interception and that's an exciting thing doesn't mean it belongs in your highlight. If it's something I can do, it shouldn't be on a highlight. And so I'm not really opposed to Jamin Davis, but the idea that we would take a first-round linebacker that has very little experience and really just has one really solid year of being a great run defender, that, you know, he takes great angles and slips past defenders and can tackle real well, that's cool. But first-round linebacker, I just, I don't see it, man. Now, again, he didn't do terribly in coverage, and if you think that he can be developed into a great linebacker, you know, and this is, again, this is Brian Gutekunst, and this is Joe Barry, and this is these guys having these conversations and saying he's got a lot of potential. But again, when you look at that 72 overall grade in coverage, his actual grades were 57, 48, 59, 93 against Tennessee. So, you know, then 62, 64, 57, 58, 60, and 70. He had two games that weren't bad, which is a little bit of an unfair way to say it, but that's just the reality. He had a 93 game and a 70 game. After that, his best was a 64, and he's got a bunch of 40s and 50s mixed in. He did not do a good job in coverage. Um, he also did have five pressures and three sacks. That was one of the other positives. He's very slippery. He slips by guys, and that includes offensive linemen trying to block for the quarterback. So I'm, I'm not uh, entirely opposed to Davis, but again, I think if we're taking a first-round linebacker, it's because he can really do, a, do some damage in coverage, and I don't think anybody right now believes Jamin Davis is a good coverage linebacker. If you look at his uh, the little bottom line comment here, it says, Davis may have only one season under his belt, but he's very much for real. He could have used more seasoning and coverage, though. NFL draft projection, second round. Biggest strength is his frame. Biggest weakness, it says coverage experience. So again, not a lot of experience. So you could get a coach to come in and say, I think I can make him into something. But at best, I'm taking him in the second round if we're taking a project. First round, I'm not taking a project linebacker. You know, project quarterback, project edge rusher, project tackle, maybe, because the, the payoff is so high. But project linebacker, I don't know. And again, for some teams, it's not a project. We need a downhill tackler. And it's not like we wouldn't benefit from that. I just, I don't see the value of a run defending linebacker in the first round. Because those guys that are just good run defenders, you can get in the third, fourth round. Plus, again, I like Kamal for that exact reason. If we look at other mock drafts that have been done recently... Terrace Marshall, Greg Newsom, Trayvon Morig, Jalen Mayfield, Elijah Moore, Terrace Marshall, so there's our first repeat, Caleb Farley, Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa, Christian Barmore, Tevin Jenkins, Zavin Collins. I'm just going in order. Um, we got a trade back for our Darius Washington, trade back for Patrick Sertain. Oh, we've got, what? What is hap What is this? Who is this genius? <laughs> Somebody is missing for, this isn't from like years ago. This was 21 days ago. Oh, because he's using some stupid simulator, and then he actually wrote an article about it. Dude, I'm sorry, but if you write for a quote-unquote major publication, let's just say, in this case it's fan-sided, and you're actually going to write an article about some simulator that you did, and the simulator has Patrick Sertan at pick 33 after you trade back, just scrap it, dude. I mean, this is so wildly unprofessional that you would actually write an article about it. Um, which, by the way, I mean... I don't know, man. You got to do better than that, I guess, is all I'm saying. But again, it's just, and of this list, who are we drafting that I'm looking at and going, ah, shoot, that sucks, right? Greg Newsom, again, he's not my favorite personally, but I'm, I'm fine with it. And then the second 
pick, they got Jabril Cox, and after that, they got Shai Smith. So, nice. Here you got Terrace Marshall, Brady Christensen, and Keith Taylor. Uh, Trayvon Morig, Diami Brown, and Calvin Joseph. Certainly not my favorite there. None of those are. Jalen Mayfield, Amari Rogers, and Trill Williams. I feel like that's a JJ mock there. I mean, it's not actually. It's Michael Balco, but I feel like he would appreciate that. I mean, all these all these drafts, you look at it, and it's like, I'm just, I'm trying to find the one that's going to make me mad. Now, there's there's no question there's going to be somebody that I really want, and we're probably not going to get them. But even that, like, I don't have somebody I want super desperately, which is the other reason why I'm just not going to get. Some of you guys I know do. But, I mean, I, you got, again, Liam Eikenberg is another different prospect. Rashad Bateman, another one. Elijah Vera Tucker. I mean, I'm literally going in order. These are all just different prospects. Asante Samuel, obviously. J.C. Horn, unlikely, but whatever. Kadarius Tony, Alex Leatherwood. Davion Nixon. It's going to be Davion, man. It's going to be flipping Davion. That's the one. That's the one that's going to get me. But I don't know that I was huge on Kenny Clark either in that panned out. Or maybe it panned out. I don't know. Tyson Campbell. Rondale Moore. So, you know. But if we look at some of the bigger bigger guys here, in the last 24 hours, CBS um, had us taking Tevin Jenkins. I've got no issue with that. Tankathon has us taking Kadarius Tony. That one, I mean, that's that's the one. Like, I'm gonna try not to get too excited because I know it's like fanboy type stuff where it's like, you know, probably more prudent things like tackle that we could be getting. But I'm just gonna geek out because I like him. I already mentioned PFN has us taking Jamin Davis. Um, again, would I be mad about it? Not really, because you know, whatever. But I just I don't think that's gonna happen. Elijah Moore is another one I'm gonna get super super excited about if we end up taking at 29. Uh, Tankathon. Didn't I already say Tankathon? I did. This is Mile High Report has us taken uh, uh, Elijah Moore. And then the huddle. David uh, Dory has us taken, once again, Kadarius Tony. So I've, I've, I'm kind of at the point now where I'm looking at it going, okay, the Packers never take anyone I'm expecting, but I'm expecting about 20 prospects. Who the heck is the guy they're going to take? And I'm going to go, what? Because it happens every time. Rashawn Gary. Darnell Savage, uh, Jair, Jordan Love. I did not expect one of those picks. I've talked about, I, I mean, you can find a podcast of me saying Rashawn Gary might be the pick. You, I literally just recently found a podcast. I didn't know it was out there saying this seems real. The Jordan Love stuff seems real. I didn't think that that was my analysis, but again, I found that podcast. Somebody pointed it out, said something to the effect of this didn't age well. And I, cause I think the title of it was, uh, I'm all the way out on Jordan Love, but the I didn't listen to the whole thing, but the first part is this kind of seems like it's real. So, you know, it, there was a part of me that knew that it was a possibility, at least at some point in time, but when the pick came, it was like, no, come on. But I mean, we legitimately almost have to go to the third round for me to be just flat out shocked. There are a couple that'll get me going ho-hum, right? Trayvon Morig, it's like, eh, all right. Um, pretty much any of the edge rushers, although, I'm, I mean, you got to get excited about an edge rush, especially when we talk about Zadarius and Preston possibly being gone, looking at Rashawn and his upside and then getting somebody else. I mean, you could possibly get these young, super talented. I mean, that's it. I can get excited about it. Uh, Landon Dickerson is kind of ho-hum, right? Would I be shocked? No. Would I be mad? No. But it's kind of, you know, you're thinking maybe it's going to be this guy. Maybe it's Asante. Maybe it's Rondale. Maybe it's whatever. And then it's Landon Dickerson. It's like, eh, all right, whatever. We need him. It's cool. Great. Whatever. Jamin Davis again. I, I can get excited about it, but it's like, eh, all right. I think Nick Bolton would kind of bother me a little bit, but it's real similar to, to uh, Davis. The only difference is he's played a lot more. 1,432 total snaps over three years. Um, very good run defender, questionable in coverage. Although 2019, he had a 90.4 overall coverage grade. I, I got to look at that because I'm assuming that's like one or two really good games, right? 
more or less. I mean, he's got uh, one, two, three, four, five games. It's weird that he can be that good one year and then every other year is not great. So I don't know. I, again, he's only 21 years old. He's super young, six foot 232. He's shown flashes in coverage, solid against the run. I, I, could, I could get talked into it. Creed Humphrey, I mean, again, ho-hum, but am I, am I okay with it? Yeah, Levi and Wuzurike, I'm, I'm excited about that. Javante Williams would be shocking, but it's to the point of, like, that's never going to happen. And even if they get it, like, you know, again, the, the fan in me that loves the weapons, you know, the, the wide receiver, the running back, the tight end, whatever, that, that part of me is going to find a way to get excited about it, despite the fact that it's stupid. Eric Stokes wouldn't surprise me, although I'm not a huge fan. Wyatt Davis, again, similarly, interior offensive line is not exciting in the first round, but we need it, and I'll get over it. Any of the tackles, for the most part, Raidens, Radunes, I, somebody, I listened to a podcast, they said his name, and I already forgot, because I've said it 700 different ways, so I can't remember what he said. Friar Muth would bother me. Although, again, I could get talked into it, because actually finding a real dominant tight end, pretty much any other draft year, if we take a tight end, I'm excited about it. I just, I'm not a fan of Friar Muth. I don't think he's that good. I mean, outside of Kyle Pitts, I just don't think it's a very good year for, like, super talented tight ends. So, I don't know. He kind of reminded me a lot when I watched him of Jimmy Graham, but not very good Jimmy Graham. So, maybe if they talk themselves into him being the really good version of Jimmy Graham, then fine. But I just, I don't know. Or or maybe like a Cole Komet. You know, kind of like big and lumbering, but he can kind of do stuff in space. Long arms, snag the ball out of the air when it's way out in front. I don't know. That, that would shock me and bother me. But again... If you just look at it from the framework of Gutekunst knows what they're doing, and obviously what what is Gutekunst projecting that Pat Fryermuth is going to be, uh, essentially he's saying we just got a stud tight end, and it's hard to not get excited about that. Basham would be fine. Joe Tryon would be fine. Davion Nixon would bother me, but again, do we need a really good defensive tackle? Yes. Is Gutekunst saying we just got one? Yes. Javon Holland I'd be fine with. Uh, Elijah Molden, not a fan, but hey, it's a corner. I'll take it. Tyson Campbell, same thing. Fetty Wu, same thing. Ronnie Perkins, solid edge rusher. I'm fine with it. Um, I mean, Jabril, I'd be super excited about. Would I take Jabril over the guys listed above? Yes, I would. The the linebackers, I mean, yes. Because he's just, he's a coverage guy. And that's what we need is a coverage guy. Is he a liability against the run? Yeah. But again, that's that's kind of standard. Most of these guys are not very good against the run. So yeah, I mean, I, I legitimately think that you're looking at third-round prospects, which, you know, Packers' reputation, it's not impossible, but you start talking about what about Aaron Robinson, the corner, um, Tylen Wallace at wide receiver, Kelvin Joseph at corner, Jackson Carmen at tackle, right? It's like, you got to tackle, but it's like, Carmen? Like, yeah, you know, I like him. Not so sure about all that, though. But no, the, I, I think the point is, I think we're going to have fun. And outside of the very distinct possibility that the Packers are going to trade back and we're going to waste the entire first day, you know, streaming and doing and all this other fun stuff, and it's just going to be wasted <laughs> because, uh, you know, because they're not actually going to make a pick, um, I think it's going to be a good time. So we've got less than two weeks until we're going to be watching the draft, and I hope you'll join me when I end up streaming it and whatnot. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be fun. And hopefully we'll have plenty to talk about in terms of, uh, you know, post-draft, look really digging into these guys and watching some of their film and whatnot. I had a lot of fun doing that last year. That's when I really started to fall in love with a lot of the prospects, which is also why it's important to not get super mad when they make the pick because you don't really know yet. Give yourself an opportunity to really learn and to really dig in. And and if there's nothing there, like it was with me and Kamal, which again, still doesn't mean anything because now I like Kamal, now that he played and played well. If, but if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. But at least give yourself the opportunity because I really started to like Jordan Love because it turns out the one game I watched of his was his by far his worst. 
when I watched every game of his 2019 season, I realized why the guy was a stud. A.J. Dillon wasn't a fan. Well, it's hard to be a really good football player when your offensive line is one of the worst in football. But you kind of watch more games and find those those plays where he has opportunities and some of the special things he can do, you start to like him. Same with DeGuara. It starts to make sense. Like, look at the scheme and everything. It's exactly what the Packers run. That's kind of cool. So it should be fun. But again, if you got any other thoughts, maybe we start looking at third, later round prospects, whatever, because I think we've kind of covered first and second round relatively thoroughly. But any other questions, comments, concerns, keep keep feeding them to me. We've got 11 days to look into these guys. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to cut it off there. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one, and bye-bye.